Chapter twenty eight in which what threatened to be a tragedy turns to comedy part two of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Thank you. I shall not require your assistance, was the cold rejoinder. But I must ask you to be quiet, John. I will not. You must. That will do, decided O'Hara, and placed a relentless hand over his mouth. Go on, Carstairs. For the sake of Miss Bowley, I will tell you that seven years ago my brother and I went to a card party. I cheated. He took the blame. He has borne it ever since, because I was too much a coward to confess. That is all I have to say. "'Twas for that you wanted to see me on Friday,' shot out O'Hara. Richard nodded dully. "'Yes, I was going to tell you then. Hm. I'm glad you decided to play the man's part for once.' With a furious oath Jack wrenched himself free and rounded on his friend. "'You take too much upon yourself, O'Hara.' He rose unsteadily and walked to Richard's side. "'Dick has told you much, but not all.' You none of you know the reasons we had for acting as we did, but you know him well enough to believe that it needed very strong reasons to induce him to allow me to take the blame. If any one has aught to say in the matter, I shall be glad if he will say it to me, now. His eyes flashed menacingly as they swept the company, and rested for an instant on O'Hara's unyielding countenance. Then he turned and held out his hand to his brother, with his own peculiarly wistful smile. "'Can you bear to speak to me?' muttered Richard, with face averted. "'God, Dick, don't be ridiculous!' He grasped the unwilling hand. "'You would have done the same for me.' Andrew pressed forward. "'Well, I can see no use in raking up old scores. After all, what does it matter? It's buried and finished. Here's my hand on it, Dick. Lord, I couldn't turn my back on the man I've lived on for years.' He laughed irrepressibly, and wrung Richard's hand. My lord's eyes were on O'Hara, pleading. Reluctantly the Irishman came forward. "'Tis only fair to tell you, Richard, that I can't see eye to eye with Andrew here.' However, I'm not denying that I think a good deal better of you now than I did seven years ago. Richard looked up eagerly. You never believed him guilty? O'Hara laughed. Hardly. You knew twas I? I had my suspicions, of course. I wish—oh, how I wish you had voiced them. O'Hara raised his eyebrows, and there fell a little silence. His grace of Andover broke it, coming forward in his inimitable way. He looked round the room at each member of the company. One, two— three, four, five, he counted. Andrew, tell them to lay covers for five in the dining-room. "'Aren't you staying?' asked his brother, surprised. "'I have supped,' replied Tracy, coolly. For a moment O'Hara's mouth twitched, and then he burst out laughing. Everyone looked at him inquiringly. "'He God!' he gasped. "'Oh, sink me, and I ever come across a more amusing villain. Lay covers for five! Oh, damn!' "'Or should I have said six? continued his grace imperturbably. "'Am I not to have the honour of Mr. Bowley's company?' O'Hara checked his mirth. "'No, ye are not. He was content to let me manage the business, and went back to Littledean.' "'I am sorry,' bowed his grace, and turned to my lord, who, with his arm about Diana's waist, was watching him arrogantly. "'I see how the land lies,' he remarked. "'I congratulate you, John. I cannot help wishing that I had finished you that day in the road. Permit me to say that you fence rather creditably.' My lord bowed stiffly. "'Of course,' continued his grace smoothly, "'you also wish you had disposed of me. I sympathize. But however much you may inwardly despise and loathe me, you cannot show it, unless you choose to make yourself and me the talk of town, not forgetting Mistress Diana. Also, I abhor bad tragedy. So I trust you will remain here to-night as my guest. Uh, Andrew, pray do not omit to order bedchambers to be prepared. Afterwards, you need never come near me again. In fact, I hope that you will not.' My lord could not entirely repress a smile. 
"'I thank your grace for your hospitality, which, I fear,' he glanced down at Diana's tired face, "'I shall be compelled to accept. As to the rest, I agree. Like you, I dislike bad tragedy.' Diana gave a tiny laugh. "'You are all so stiff,' she said. "'I shall go to bed.' "'I will take you to the stairs, then,' said Jack promptly, and led her forward. She stopped as they were about to pass his grace and faced him. Tracy bowed very low. "'Good night, madam. Carstairs will know which room I had assigned to you. You will find a servant there.' "'Thank you,' she said steadily. "'I shall try to forget the happenings of this day, your grace. I see the truth in what you say. We cannot afford to let the world see that we are at enmity, lest it should talk. And I confess it freely. I find it less hard to forgive you the insults of—of to-day, since they brought Jack to me.' and I had not been in such dire straits, I might never have seen him again. In fact, bowed his grace, everything has been for the best. I would not say that, sir, she replied, and went out. For a moment there was silence in the room. No one quite knew what to say. As usual, it was Tracy who came to the rescue, breaking an uncomfortable pause. I suggest we adjourn to the dining-room, he said. I gather we may have to wait some time before his lordship reappears. O'Hara, after you. "'One moment,' replied Miles. "'Jack's mare's in a shed somewhere. I said I would see to her.' "'Andrew,' called his grace, "'when you have finished superintending the laying of supper, give orders concerning Carstairs's mare.' A casual assent came from outside, and immediately afterwards Lord Andrew's voice was heard shouting instructions to someone, evidently some way off. On the whole the supper-party passed off quite smoothly. His grace was smilingly urbane, Andrew boisterous and amusing, and O'Hara bent on keeping the conversation up. Richard sat rather silent, but my lord, already deliriously happy, soon let fall his armour and joined in the talk, anxious to hear all the news of town for the last six years. O'Hara was several times hard put to keep from laughing out loud at his thoughts. The humour of the situation struck him forcibly. After fighting as grimly as these men fought, and after all that had transpired, that they should both sit down to supper as they were doing, appealed to him strongly. He had quite thought that my lord would incline to tragedy, and refuse to stay an instant longer in the duke's house. It was not until midnight, when every one else had gone to bed, that the brothers came face to face, alone. The dining-room was very quiet now, and the table bore dissipated look with the remains of supper left on it. My lord stood absently playing with the long-handled punch-spoon, idly stirring the golden dregs at the bottom of the bowl. The candles shed their light full on his face and Richard, standing opposite in the shadow, had ample opportunity of studying it. It seemed to him that he could not look long enough. Unconsciously his eyes savoured every detail of the loved countenance, and watched each movement of the slender hand. He found John subtly changed, but quite how he could not define. He had not aged much, and he was still the same laughter-loving Jack of the old days, with just that intangible difference. O'Hara had felt it too, a slight impenetrability, a reserve. It was my lord who broke the uncomfortable silence. As if he felt the other's eyes upon him, he looked up with his appealing, whimsical smile. "'Devil take it, Dick, we're as shy as two schoolboys.' Richard did not smile, and his brother came round the table to his side. "'There's naught to be said betwixt us two, Dick. T'would be so damned unnecessary. After all, we always shared in one another's scrapes.' He stood a moment with his hand on Richard's shoulder. Then Richard turned to him. "'What you must think of me!' he burst out. "'My God, when I realize—' "'I know, believe me, Dick, I know just what you must have felt. But pray forget it. It's over now and buried.' There was another long silence. Lord John withdrew his hand at last, and perched on the edge of the table, smiling at Richard. 
I'd well nigh forgot that you were a middle-aged papa. A son? Ay, John, after you. I protest I am flattered. Lord, to think of you with a boy of your own! He laughed, twirling his eyeglass. At last Richard smiled. To think of you, an uncle, he retorted, and suddenly all vestige of stiffness had fled. Next morning Richard went on to Wincham, and Diana, Jack, and O'Hara travelled back to Sussex. Jack would not go home yet. He protested that he was going to be married first, and would then bring home his countess. But he had several instructions to give his brother concerning the preparation of his house. The last thing he requested Richard to do was to seek out a certain city merchant, Fudby, by name, and to rescue a clerk, Chilter, from him, bearing him off to Wincham. All this he called from the coach-window just before they set off. Richard led Jenny, whom he was to ride home, up to the door of the vehicle, and expostulated. "'But what in thunder am I to do with the man?' "'Give him to Warburton,' advised Jack flippantly. "'I know he needs a clerk. He always did.' "'But perhaps he will not desire to come.' "'You do as I tell you,' laughed his brother. "'I shall expect to find him at Wincham when I arrive. Au revoir.' He drew his head in, and the coach rumbled off. End of chapter 28, part 2. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.